Open your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Psalms, to Psalm 95. This passage comes from the song book of the Old Testament. Psalms were simply poems and songs that the people of God had written over the years. Many of them, as this one is, were, were psalms that were used in worship. They would actually do in worship what we just did. They would sing them or say them together as part of their liturgy, as part of their worship. If you're ever reading through a psalm, you see how they're broken up into two lines. Each of those verses would have two lines. Well, if you're reading through a verse or a passage of, of Psalms and, and the second part of each verse is the same repeated phrase again and again and again, that was because it was re read responsively. The worship leader would read the first line and then the people would respond. The worship leader would read the next slide and the people would respond and their response again and again, his faithfulness endures forever. The, the worship leader would say something else, his faithfulness endures forever. It's a way of just getting people engaged in the worship process. This psalm that we just read is about worship. But it's not just telling us about worship it's actually engaged in the act of worship. So it's not telling us in a teaching sense, it's actually a doing sense. This is worship, what we just did. It's the act of worship itself. So let's look at this psalm for a few minutes and see what we can learn about worship and how we ought to worship each week. Look at verse 1. The psalm begins with an invitation for people to come. Come, let us worship God. Come and sing to Him. This was common in biblical times, and it's still used in many churches. That first song that we often that we sing is often referred to as the call to worship. It's a way for us to get centered and say, okay, now let's focus on worship. Verse 1 does that. It's an invitation. It's a call for us to come together and worship. Now, why are we called to worship rather than told to worship? Why doesn't verse 1 say, hey, worship God? No, it's an invitation for us to come to do this, look at that verse there and how often in that passage the references to us, to we, to our. Worship is a community event. Worship is not just an individual private thing. Worship is something that we come together to do. And so the invitation is for, hey, come with us and worship God. We are invited to this community event to worship God. Two mistakes, though, that are often made in worship today is you'll hear people say, well, I don't need to go to church to worship God. I can worship God anywhere. You ever hear that? You'll never hear that from a growing Christian. 
You'll never hear that from somebody who's committed to the body of Christ. You'll hear that from somebody who's committed to doing things their own way, selfishly. That's like somebody saying, I want to be married, I just don't want to spend time with you. We would not look at that as a good thing. And yet people will say, well, I don't need to go to church to worship God. And they're saying that as if that's a good thing. No, worship is a community event that we do together. Second, the second mistake that we make when it comes to worship is we have made worship a spectator sport. Watching others worship. So the vast majority of people who come to church will sit and watch other people worship. This is important. So even when we do come to church, too many of us are sitting and watching while others are doing the worship. As if we can remotely worship God through others. But listening to Marcus and the praise team sing is not worship. It's watching. The psalmist did not begin this psalm by saying, come and watch us worship. It was an invitation for you to come and be involved in it yourself. Remember that when you're talking to other people about church services. Don't ever just say, you ought to go to church. We're guilty of doing that. We'll look at somebody and say, do you go to church? No, well, you ought to go to church. Never point your finger at somebody and say, you ought to go to church. What you want to do is you want to invite them. I would love for you to come to church with me. They are more likely to be involved in a church service if you invite them to come with you rather than you just pointing your finger at them and say, you should go to church. Look at verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. That word noise there literally means noise. They, in their worship in the Jewish religion, they would shout to the Lord. Oftentimes it was almost a war cry. That was part of their worship, was noisy, loud worship. We are guilty in the church today too often of singing about God's amazing grace in ways that are much less than amazing. We sing about how great our God is, but often it comes out like, how great is our God. Oh, let me sing about how great is our... Really? That doesn't sound very great to me. The psalmist says, come and let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a noise to Him. Yes, we can worship God in quietness, in silence. And some of the most moving moments can often be quiet. But listen, that should not be the norm. That should not be all that we do. Our love is to be boisterous. Our worship for God is to be loud. Why? Because of what He's done. You see, when we lack that volume, when we lack that intensity, it calls into question how much we really believe what we're singing. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. 
You're talking to somebody and, and something fantastic happened. Oh, I'm telling you, it was fantastic. That says something. If they were to come to you and say the exact same words, well, I'm telling you, it was fantastic. I don't know. That doesn't sound too fantastic to me. And when we come into God's presence, we can use the right words. But if we don't sing about our great God in a way that draws attention to how great he is, I don't know. Is that really worship? If we really feel strongly about this, if we really believe these things we sing about God, why wouldn't we sing them loudly? Why wouldn't we shout them? Now, to put the lie to this idea that, oh, you can really feel it without shouting it. Let me paint a picture for you here. Imagine you win the lottery. Not one of those $500 lotteries. I'm talking about one of those $500 million lotteries. How would you talk about that to your friends? Well, I know you'd be a preacher. I wouldn't tell my friends because all my friends would want some of that money. Right? But if you were to tell somebody about that, what would you say? Well, yeah, I want a $500 million lottery. You'd be hooping and hollering and jumping up and down about this wonderful thing that's happened in your life. Now, come on, people. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we get eternal life and we have heaven given to us by God, people, that's winning the lottery. That's wonderful. That's amazing. Why is it that we're like, yeah, ho hum. Yeah. I'm going to heaven when I die. Whoa. Try to restrain yourself there, all right? This is amazing. Doesn't God deserve as much excitement as your team winning the World Series? As you winning the lottery? Worship is about celebrating God. So guess what? Celebrate Him. Let everybody know. Now look at verse 6. The psalmist says in verse 6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Worship is not just about singing loudly to God. Worship is also about humility. Bow down, kneel. Those are pictures, those are images of our posture in worship. The point is, when we come in to worship God, there is to be reverence for God. Because He is God and we are not. We are not here for just a community event. Stick with me. Worship is a community event, but we're not here just for community. If all you do is touch base with other people and have a social time, that can be good. That can be fun. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not worship. Worship is about that intimate time with God where we kneel before Him. We may not physically kneel, but our attitude is one of humility where we recognize we are in the presence of God. 
Which is one reason why we encourage you, don't be side-talking during the service. You're not here to talk to each other. You can do that before the service. You can do that after the service. This is the time for us to talk to God. And when we're talking back and forth with each other, that's distracting. And basically we're saying, God, I don't really care what you have to say. I want to talk to this person. What's even more frustrating is not people who talk to each other in the worship service. It's when we're texting in church. Amen? I don't even care to talk to God while I'm here in the presence of God. I want to talk to somebody who's not even here. That's a problem. That's not worship. You can be in a service and not be worshiping. What? You don't think God deserves your attention while you're here? This is God for heaven's sakes. Go out on a date and sit there at the dinner table and be texting somebody else while you're on the date and see what she says. That's fine. We don't care. Yeah. Listen, you want to be with that person so much that you're texting, go be with that person. Right? You want to come in to worship God? Great. Worship God. Don't be talking to other people while you should be worshiping God. Which leads us to the central point of worship. The central focus of worship. As you read through that psalm, what was it? God. The central focus of worship has to be God. You see, when we get our eyes off of God, it's no longer worship. We can still be at the place of worship. We can still be with the people of God. But if our mind is somewhere else, it's no longer worship. Because there is no such thing as worshiping God if our mind is not on God. You with me? What we do here on Sunday mornings may be entertaining. What we do here on Sunday mornings may be enjoyable. But if it doesn't get our mind on God, it's not worship. Too often we walk out of a service. Oh, that was a great service. Why? When you walk out of a service and you think it was great... Why? Very often we think it's great because of how it makes us feel. Let me remind you, worship is not about how you feel. Worship is about God. And you can have some wonderful worship. I'm telling you people, if you, we're going to get to this in a few minutes. Sometimes you go into worship and God beats you up. Are you with me? And you know what? You walk out of service and you say, man, that was great. Because God beat me up. Seriously. Because Hebrews says that God disciplines those he loves. And in that moment of worship, God showed his love by just smacking you upside the head and saying, what are you doing? Right? Worship is about God, not about how I feel. People say, well, did you you enjoy the service? You're not here to have an enjoyable time. You're here to, to focus on God. 
Listen, if Marcus and the praise team do not get our focus on God, they have failed. When I preach, if I don't get your mind focused on God, I have failed. It doesn't matter if what they sing is true. If it doesn't get our minds on God, it's not worship. It doesn't matter if what I teach is true. It doesn't matter if what I teach is helpful. If it doesn't get your mind on God, it's not worship. We have made worship about us. We have visitors who come in. This Every church has this. You'll have visitors who will come in and they check in your church out. They Do they have this? Do they do this? They're checking to see, does it have... Church is not to be about you. It's not to be about me. It's to be about God. Yes, we will be blessed when we're in worship. But that can't be our focus. If we come into worship and say, what is in it for me? It's not worship. That's just selfishness at that point. We have made worship so much about us that we won't even come to worship if we don't feel like we need it. Oh, I don't feel like it today. What? God doesn't deserve your worship even when you don't feel like it. We have so missed the boat today because we have made church just another consumer event. And we in the church, we in leadership in the church, have been guilty of trying to make church so that it's something that you want. We package it in a way so that it's appealing to you. We are guilty of it from from this side just as much. It's about God. And if you come here today and you want something else and we tailor the service for you, we've forgotten about God too, haven't we? It's not about us. It's about God. So when you come into worship, get your mind on God. And if your mind, and I know you know how our minds work, they always tend to drift. Watch where your mind is drifting. And when you see your mind is drifting to something, say, God, help me just to release that. Even for a few moments so I can focus on you. And if you will not release that, if you will not let it go, if you continue to focus on it, people listen to me. That is your God then. Did you hear me? If you will not get your mind off of something so that you can think about God, that is your God. And you are worshiping. Because you're giving your mind to that which is most important to you and you're saying to God, could you hold on? Because I really want to think about something else. Worship that doesn't focus on God is not worship of God. It's worship of something else. That's why we sing songs like, how great is our God? What are we focusing on when we sing how great is our God? We're focusing on God and His greatness. When we sing about God being worthy of our praise, we're focusing on who He is and why He is worth us singing about. 
And when you're sitting there just won't even open your mouth and singing the words, what you're saying is, God, I don't even think you're worth me opening my mouth. We would never say that out loud, but that is what we're saying. Why do we worship God? That's what the psalmist tells us in this psalm as well. Verses 3 to 5, because our God is great. Now listen, great is one of those words that we greatly overuse. You know what I'm talking about? Everything is great. We have a pizza. Oh, it was great. We watch a television show. Oh, it was great. Okay? Great and wonderful and fantastic are words that we just way overuse. And then we come in and we start talking about our great God. It's the same as the pizza we had last night. It was great. Worship is to remind us that God, though, is really, really, really great. He is awesome. Our God is the God who created the world. Oh, you got to go to this pizza place. They create the best pizza. Yeah, but creating a pizza is not quite as much as creating, you know, the world. We are to worship God because He is great. And we focus on His greatness in our daily lives. I think Steve said it today. The very fact that we got up this morning is a sign of God's greatness. We could be dead today. God is great. We focus so much on ourselves. We talk about what we do. Oh, preacher, I I don't think I'm great. Yeah, yeah, I get that. We don't think we're great, supposedly. But what do we talk about? Given a choice between talking about you and talking about God, most of us will talk about ourselves before we'll talk about God. Oh, I don't think I'm great. Well, you're spending a whole lot of time talking about you more than you're talking about God. If God is so great, why aren't we talking about Him? The psalmist says that our God is above all other gods. Not because there are other gods in reality. There are no other gods. But God is greater than all the other idols we could possibly have. God is great. Why do we worship God? The psalmist tells us because of our relationship with him. Not only is our God great, but he's our God. We can't say that if we aren't in relationship with him. Notice what he says there. Verse 7. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We belong to God. We have a relationship with him. People, that's worth singing about. Before we come to faith in Christ, we are lost. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We do not have a relationship with God. And he makes us his people. Notice what he says there in verse 7, though. He calls us sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. Today, to be called a sheep is not a good thing. That's a put down today, to be called a sheep. You're just mindlessly following other people. But in biblical times, to be a sheep... That was a prized possession. A shepherd, he had a job. You know what it was? To protect the sheep. To care for the sheep because they were valued. And the psalmist is saying, you are valued by God. You are one of his sheep. Why do we come in here and worship God? Because he's our God and we have relationship with him. And we have relationship with him because of him, not because of us. 
Because if it was left up to us, we wouldn't have relationship with God. Right? Now to bring in another verse. All we like sheep, Isaiah 53, have gone astray. If we are the sheep of God's pastures because He went and rounded us up and brought us into His fold. Amen? Because if He hadn't done that, we'd still be wandering. We'd be chasing after our own stuff like a sheep. Verse 6, we worship God because He is our Maker. God created us. We would not even exist if it wasn't for God. People, you know what? We, we spend a lot of time complaining about our bodies. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm too fat. I'm too this. I'm too that. Do you realize that God created you? God created you. He could have made you good looking like me. He, I'm, it's not my fault he didn't. God made you. Thank you, God, for making... He didn't have to make you. He didn't have to make me. God, I worship you for creating me. I wouldn't even be here to complain about something if God hadn't made me. We worship God because He is our Maker. Verse 3, we worship God because He is the great King. We have trouble relating to that today because we don't have kings. We elect presidents and then we term limit them so we can make sure they're not going to be here too long. Kings, they're kings until they die. And a king is a king not because the people are, who, who wants to be king? You're not voted in as king. You're king because you are the king. God is king not because we've made him the king. God is over all as king of the universe whether you would submit to him or not. God doesn't need your vote. And we come in here and worship and we're reminded that we need God. He doesn't need us. I get disgusted when I hear preachers who take the offering and say, oh, God needs your money. Right? I do not worship a pathetic God who needs the 14 bucks in my pocket. God is the God of the universe who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He owns the hills that the cattle are on. He doesn't need my money. I give my money not because God needs it. I give it because I want to worship God. Because I love Him. Are you with me? God is King. We've lost the sense of what that means. And as a King, He can tell us what to do. Too often we are guilty when we read in God's Word to what we're supposed to do. Well, why do I have to do that? Because God says so. And He's the King. He's God. He can tell us what to do. Prince, the singer, died, was it Thursday? I was reading on Twitter and I saw a woman from Detroit. Don't even know her. I saw her. A woman from Detroit. She tweeted about Prince, quote, You are everything. And my heart sank when I saw that. If Prince is your everything, you're in trouble. He's a great singer. I'm not talking about that. But I need more than somebody who's going to die at, what, 57 years old? God is the king of the universe, and he won't die. God is everything. Why do we worship God? Because he's great, because he's king, because he's created us. We worship God, verse 2, because of gratitude. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. 
Now, go back to that idea about our worship being loud, boisterous, excited. Given how much God has done for us, what should our gratitude sound like? Hey, thanks, God. That, what, what you did for me, that, that was wonderful. Thanks. We get the words right, folks. But without the intensity, without the emotion, it doesn't mean as much. If you do something wonderful for somebody, and they come and say, yeah, thanks for that, man. That's the best you got? That's the best your gratitude can do? Is just a weak thank you? No, in worship, I want God to know I am grateful for what he's done. And when we understand who God is, when we understand how great God is, we will want to worship him, won't we? You see, if you have to be pushed to come to worship, it's not worship. You can't come into the presence of God being drugged here by somebody and say, oh God, I just really wanted to be with you. And God's like, no, you didn't. You had to be pushed to be here. You had to be drugged here to worship. If you have to be pushed to worship, it's not worship. Because worship is spontaneous. When we focus on God, how can we not worship Him? If our heart doesn't want to joyfully and thankfully worship God, there's something wrong with our heart. There's a problem. We hear people today who claim they have a great relationship with God, but yet they never or hardly ever get together with God's people to worship Him. Does that sound right to you? Oh, I just love God so much. I just worship God so much. I just can't stand being with His people. No. When we love God, we love the people of God. But now, notice the radical shift that takes place in verse 7. And when I say radical, I mean hugely radical shift. Verse 7. The last part of verse 7 says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. So radical is the shift from verse 7 on that many scholars have said it doesn't belong with this psalm. It must be from another psalm that's been tacked on here. I think there can be a good case made, though, for how verses 1 through 6 fit with 7 and following. What's being talked about there in verse 8? Meribah and Massa. Remember those? Those are two words that begin with M. What are they talking about? Those are two places from the Old Testament, when God's people were going through the wilderness, remember after they came out of Egypt, before they got to the promised land, there were two places. Remember when they tested God because they ran out of water? And what happened when they ran out of water? Oh, we're going to die! God brought us out of Egypt just to let us die of thirst here in the desert. That's what they did to God. And then later on, that big rebellion came when the spies came back from the promised land and said, man, we're, we're going to get killed there. They're just giants there. The giants are so big, we're like little grasshoppers. They're going to squish us like bugs. And the people went back to their tents and they wept because they said, we're done. It's hopeless. 
And God says, if you think that I'm going to bring you up out of Egypt to let you be killed like that, he said, then you can just die in the wilderness. And they wandered for 40 years until every one of those generation died except for the two spies that came back and said, let's go get them. Our God can knock them out, no problem. That's what the psalmist is talking about here. And the connection between verses 1 through 6 and 7 through 11 is simply this. Worship and obedience go hand in hand. These verses help us to see the connection between worship and obedience. Because worship can exist apart from obedience. It can. We've talked about this before. We can have outward worship. We can say the right things. And still not be right in our walk with God. And you know what that's called? It's called worship. It is. It's called hypocritical worship. You see, when there's a disconnect between what we say about God and how we live for God, our worship has become hypocritical. But there's a warning here in worship. In the midst of this worship as the people are praising the great God and thanking God for what He's done, then the worship leader reminds them of Meribah and Massa where the people were disobedient to God. And he says in worship, the leader says, don't go there. You know what I mean? If God is who He is, the God of the universe, the maker of everything, the king, the God above all gods. If God is who he says he is in worship, if God is who we say he is in worship, when it comes to disobedience, don't go there. Because obedience flows from true worship. And when we continually disobey God, if we're going to worship and living in that continual disobedience, it shows that our worship is hypocritical. We're being phony. We come into worship and, oh God, you mean so much to me. God, I love you so much. I'm so grateful. And then we go do what we want. And God says, your actions are speaking louder than your words. Because there ain't no worship loud enough that's going to cover up the screaming of our disobedience. And God is not fooled by our worship. When our worship is broken, when we are not singing to God the way we should, when our minds are not being reminded of who God is, our obedience will be reflect, affected. You see, true worship keeps our heart in check. You've been there. I've been there. We come into church and we're feeling pretty good about how we're doing. And then we come into the presence of God and we get checked real quick. You know what? You're not doing as good as you think you are. Because I might be doing pretty good when I compare myself to other people. When I come into the presence of a righteous and a holy God, I don't look so good. And true worship cuts us down to size. True worship cuts us off at the knees. You know what? 
I am thankful that we've got a forgiving God because I need forgiveness. How about you? When you come into the worship of God and you're thinking, I'm doing pretty good. Get your eyes on God and you'll see pretty quick how good you're doing. Worship is connected to our obedience. Worship and obedience go hand in hand. Because the more I worship God and how great and holy and righteous He is, the more I want to obey Him. When we're reminded in worship of how much God has done for us, how can we not want to serve Him more? How can we not want to obey Him more? Tell your wife how you love her more than anybody in the whole world. Hey, could you take the trash out? Well, no, I'm not taking the trash out, but I love you. Your worship, your love doesn't mean a whole lot if you're not willing to do anything for her. Same is true with God. Singing to praises to God is not enough. Because without obedience, our worship words, our singing to God, it's just words. It's just talk. Which is why the prophet Amos records God as saying this. Amos chapter 5. God says, take away your noisy songs. To the melody of your harps, God says, I won't listen. Why? Because God says, you're not being just in your relationships. God says, I don't want to hear your worship because it's just a lot of baloney. He said, let justice flow down like waters, like righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. That's when we're worshiping God, when our obedience matches our words. Now look at verse 9 in the text. We'll close with this. Verse 9 in the second part there says, though they had seen my work. They rebelled against God though they had seen His work. Well, what work is He talking about there? Remember the ten plagues? God beat the holy hell out of Egypt. The Egyptians did not let God's people go. Did you know that? They did not let them go. They drove them out. They said, get out of here. If you don't get out of here, we're going to be dead. God was raining plague after plague after plague on them. And God's people saw it. And though they saw God's works, they still rebelled against Him. It is important for us people to remember our history. They saw God at work. And so have you. Amen? You have seen God at work in your life. And when we come into worship, we are reminded of where we've come from. God didn't save us because we were so good. God saved us in spite of the fact we were no good. Worship reminds us of where we were. Worship reminds us of how we got here. Not us, but God. 
And worship reminds us of the mistakes we've made. We've all had our Meribah experience. We've all rebelled against God. Where we've tested God's patience. But you see, people, we do not worship God on paper. What does that mean? That means you open up your Bible and, and you read in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You say, well, God, I want to worship you today because you gave your son to die for me. You love the world. We don't worship God on paper. We don't open up our Bibles and say, well, God. No, we worship God from our experience. I don't worship God's love because I read about God's love. I worship God's love. Because I've experienced it. And so have you. Worship reminds us of what we've experienced of God ourselves. Poor worship though. Poor worship springs from a hard heart. Poor worship springs from a hard heart that only leads to even worse worship. Because we all suffer from that hard heart at times where we come into the presence of Almighty God and we're not even moved. Are you with me? We ought to be knocked over by the love of God every week. Every time we come into the presence of God, we should be reminded of how merciful He is that He hasn't wiped us off the face of the earth instantly. That's what we deserve. When we come into the presence of God, our heart should be broken. We owe God everything we have. And yet we struggle with giving God anything. And we'll throw him 60 minutes of pathetic worship and think like, boy, I'm a good Christian. God, break our hearts. That God has done so much for us. He's given his only son to die on the cross for us. To give him 60 minutes of pathetic worship is an insult. He deserves everything we've got. He deserves our obedience every day. Not just for an hour on Sunday morning. Let me challenge you. Get your eyes on God. It will change your life. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful today for the worship that we've experienced. We've been reminded again of how great and how awesome you are. And God, forgive us how we've come into your presence week after week and we've been so ho-hum about our worship. We come in here and we give you pathetic, half-hearted worship and we walk out feeling like, well, that was good. I gave God an hour of worship. God, help us to see that you don't want an hour of pathetic worship. You want our lives. God, help us to see that you deserve everything we've got and so much more. Now, God, as we leave this morning, help us to not turn the worship off, but to keep the worship going through obedience. To show you how much we, we love you, how great we think you are by being obedient to you even when we leave the walls of this building. And God, may the people around us, may they take notice of the worship that we give You as we live obedient lives to You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.